The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. So I want to, um, one very common custom over there is to bring greetings. So the first thing you do when you stand up in front of anybody is you bring greetings. So I bring greetings to both of you and all of Artisan Church from Pastor Jonathan at the church in Kasuba. And from Pastor George, who was our host over there, and from all of the people that I met, which was many, and I have a huge heart for them. So I also bring some gifts for you guys. So, (laughs) no, in fact, no. So, so the first two are some artwork that I bought for the church. This particular piece was made by some of the boys that live on the streets um, in one of the biggest slums in Eastern Africa. So I thought that that would be pretty cool to hang up for us. Another one, this is... Also for the church. Um, So this is just a sense of the community that they have over there in Uganda. It's a little bit different than here as everybody does everything together and very involved in each other's lives. So I thought those two would be um, nice for our walls since we brought art for them that I could bring some back. Um, I have Pastor Scott. I know that you like to read. And I happen to be on the trip with your former college roommate and his wife who know you very well, and they helped me pick some bookends for you. So those are carved, um, and I got those on in Jinja, which was one of the last places we went, which was the most European of all the cities that we visited, and it was a nice way to kind of transition back into coming to America. For Pastor Mike, I got you two things. I don't know how this will be useful. So this is um, a knife. (laughs) And... Here is um, a bottle opener. Because <laughs> every time I come over to your house, you have such a nice spread of beverages. <laughs> but it's got a lion on the end of it. You know, so. <laughs> there you go. So I have some pictures that I want to show you, and it's going to kind of go through a little bit of of the story of the trip that I went on. Um, One of the things that James encouraged us to do was to tell stories. It's a storytelling culture, and in America, we're not necessarily a storytelling culture. We're a fact-based culture, so if you give me the facts, I can can relay that to you as a good American. Um, But over there, it's not like that. It's very much everything is encased in stories. So I'm trying to tell you a story of the trip that I went on and the experience that I had with you over there so that you can see what you did, even though you didn't get to do that face-to-face. So this is part of that. Obviously, it's called the Ugandan Water Project, and this is one of the tanks. And I saw a lot of pictures that the Ugandan Water Project had on their website, but it was very great to be able to be there in person. Hey, this is me. Look, now I'm in one of these pictures. So, (laughs) So this is great. I actually went. I did go. Every now and again, will you take a picture of me to show that I'm here? So for the, the next picture, um, one of the things that we did was we went to a lot of schools and churches, and we visited 10 of the newest in, ten, the new installations. There are 10 of them. I don't know how to say that correctly, clearly. Um, so there are 10 installations that were new since the last trip. And part of the trip was to go and to meet the people and to greet them and to say, this is who we are, and we are so grateful that you were able to receive this water tank, and we want to meet you in person. And we wanted to also check the tanks and see how they were doing. Some of them, the spouts, spigots, on the end of it, they had been stolen. So 
all right, let's make sure that what is a way that we can safely keep that on there so that you can access the water for when it rains that will be in the tank. Um, so this is at a school called Jokalera, and it is a small school that Pastor George has started. It's a Christian school, and it's free. Most of the schools over there cost money. And it's in a Muslim community. So part of by having it there and having a school, the church members are able to meet the community in a very non-threatening way. It's just school. We want your children to be able to go to school. If you can't afford another school, then here's one that you can send them to. And they're very clearly Christians, but um, it's a great way to be involved in that community. So you can see in the picture that it's a dirt floor. Um, and the, the school has walls and a roof, but it doesn't have any windows. It doesn't have any doors. A lot of the floors, they um, will put a permethrin substance in it, which helps against bugs getting in there and um, all of the diseases that are very rampant because of the insects around there, which I got all of my vaccinations for and I was taking medicine for, but regularly people over there don't necessarily have those opportunities. So one of the things, um, artisan here blessed me with a lot of money that I didn't need all of it, and so I was able to bring it over and leave it there and donate it to specific places. And one of those places was Jokalera to give them money to help them have some windows on the schools and to be able to finish the floors in the classrooms. Very common in these classrooms, you would have one or two classes per room. You have a blackboard on one side, and on the opposite wall, you have another blackboard. So it's difficult sometimes to have class going on because behind the kids, they're being distracted by the next grade. So to be able to build another room for each class to be in there. So eventually, that's the goal that they're going for. But right now, they're looking to finish the floors and buy some doors and windows. So because of you, they will now be able to do some of that. So that is part of what you were invested in by going. Go to the next picture, <clears throat> please. This is, this is us, and we just got to be able to hang out with the children and with the people in a lot of the places that we went. So I have tons of these pictures of just children and students and grown-ups. And one of the things that they loved is you take their picture, and then on your digital camera, you turn it around and you show it to them which is great because very often they don't see themselves on a regular basis. They don't have mirrors. They might not have windows. And if they do, you don't get a great reflection out of that. So it's certainly not to say that nobody sees themselves, but it's not as common at all as it is here. So they love to be able to see themselves, and they would all huddle around your camera, and they would point and laugh, and then take another one. Mizungu, Mizungu, take my picture. So I obliged. Yes, I would love to take your picture. Thanks. So... Um, with this particular group, we were singing the song Head and Shoulders, Knees and Toes. It was a great song. We had a good time. Okay, next slide. Because of one of the people at Artisan who works at Interval and has access to a lot of extra medical supplies, we were able to bring over two and a half bins full of medical supplies. And we went um, to a place called Kawanda, which is where this is, and... There was a pastor's conference, and uh, we were able to do some basic first aid. None of us are nurses. None of us are trained in that, but I know how to put on a Band-Aid. Um, and it was very, very sobering to work with these people. We sat there in a place that was not too dissimilar from here, and it was full, absolutely full of um, pastors and congregants and community members from all around the area and just to look at them, they're very beautiful people, and they wear these gorgeous, gorgeous outfits for Sunday. It's very important to them to dress up for church. And then for them to come and say, can you help me with this? And they have a serious, serious infection on their arm that you wouldn't see just sitting next to them in church. Or someone came up to us and said, can you help me with this and describe the symptoms? And it, what, from what we can guess, it would seem that this person has breast cancer that this woman is probably stage 3 or stage 4 breast cancer. And what do you do with a bottle of children's cough syrup and a Band-Aid? I, I can't help you with that. I'm not a doctor. But we can pray for you. And so we had a station that was doing basic first aid, and then we had a station right next to it that was praying because there was a lot of things that we have no control over and there's nothing that we could do to help. And so 
to be able to observe this was amazing. I got to work with some of the children. We were mobbed. There was about 150 of them. And we did some balloon animals. And they just mobbed us for that. And we were doing Bible stories. And we acted out the story of David and Goliath. And I said, how many of you know the story of David and Goliath? And none of them raised their hands. And I had a translator, so I knew they, <laughs> they knew what I said. And they didn't, they didn't know the story. So to be able to share that with them, to be able to bring them first aid, and to be able to help some of them who just had a basic cut and needed some Neosporin and a Band-Aid, that was awesome. And that is something that you participated in. So thank you. This is a picture of Christy Harrington, James' wife, and she's doing some of that medical work. Go to the next picture. <clears throat> While we were at Kwanda, they gave James a rooster. And uh, I thought he did a great job. These roosters, they kind of fly around. I mean, they flap. So he was able to tuck that under his arm, and he almost started playing with the rooster, but they came up and took it from him before he had to do that for, with his guitar. Um, and uh, that was just a thank you to the Ugandan Water Project. This was at Pastor Andrew's church, and I believe that's the next picture. Nope, but that's okay. So... Pastor Andrew is part of Elam Fellowship, which is how the connection that we have over there. And at his church, they don't have a roof, so they can't have a water tank because these are rainwater collection tanks. Rain goes on the roof. We install gutter systems, and it goes into the tanks. So they aren't able to have one because they don't have a roof on their building. They have some branches, stick log things, and they have some fabric over their building. But Pastor Andrew has worked very diligently for five or six different churches and communities to get water tanks. And so it's amazing to see the humility of this man who is so dedicated to bringing clean water to places, even though he can't bring that to his own people yet. We were able, there it is, there's a picture. <clears throat> we were able to participate in the Second Steps program. And so part of the trip fee that I raised that you guys provided for me was to go towards the Second Steps program. And we built three chicken coops and we gave three families chickens. We gave them about 50 to 60 chickens so that they could have protein in their own diet from the eggs. They could sell some of the eggs. They could sell some of the chickens. When the chickens die, they have enough that they can keep hatching. So about 50 or 60 chickens is enough for that. <clears throat> three of the families didn't have room for chicken coops, so we gave them pigs. So three families got two pigs and three families got chicken coops. And Part of the Second Steps program was, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to provide this for you, which is a life-changing thing. You're getting a business. You're getting an opportunity to have a livelihood that you never had before because we love God, and God loves you, and we love you, and we want to extend that to you. And also because um, we want you to extend that into your community. So it's really feeding into the communities to help them be empowered, to help them grow their own community. And one of the requirements was for all the people that got chickens, they had to give away of their first batch hatching of chickens, they had to give away 10 of them to, a f to one family who knew it was coming. So they'll come over, how are my chicks doing? Yeah, the eggs so good, okay. And for the families that had pigs, they had to give away, I, I, I don't remember if it was two or if it was six of their piglets from the first litter that they had. So that was a way to bless them and really build into these communities, and that was in Kiwanda as well, I believe. And so that was something that you were able to participate in doing, which is pretty awesome. We had a little bit of trouble building the chicken coop because we didn't have conventional tools, so I was sawing these planks with a Leatherman, but my blister's almost gone, so it's good. So, you know, it was an interesting experiment to do that. <clears throat> and that's the final product of the chicken coop on her house minus a few of the planks. Um, and that's Pastor George in the blue shirt. And uh, it was great because he came in, he was like, give me some gloves, and he was working just with us. So if you keep go to the next slide. This is Margaret, and she lived in the house, and she's the one that received the chickens for the chicken coop that I was working on, and she's with her grandson, Arthur. Her daughter looked like she was in her late teens, um, maybe early 20s. And she was inside while we were working. Go to the next slide. And here she is with one of her chicks. You can keep going. The chicks were born at 8 o'clock at night, and then we came around 10 o'clock the next morning, so they're all chirping in there. It was very, very cute. <clears throat> and we got to hold them and pet them. 
And then these are the families that received the pigs and the chickens. So these families, their lives are changed. Absolutely, 100% changed. And then there are six other families that are also changed because of this. Go to the next slide. We went to the slums in um, Kampala. There are one. There is one of the biggest slums in Eastern Africa, and there's a church there that has a ministry. Um, the church is a pavilion. It's a roof with a dirt floor. That's it. That's the whole church. Um, and they have a ministry to street kids and to street boys. And so they come in. There are uncles. There. They looked like there are guys in about their 20s. There's five or six of them that would come in, and they would work with these street boys, and they would help them, and they would teach them basic math and spelling. And the high school students that went with us on our trip have a higher education than some of these uncles that were there, but these uncles really feel passionate about doing that. Some of them grew up on the streets, and so they would go and they work with them. They also work with them to find out what are some things that they're interested in so that maybe they could find some type of career. So they teach them acrobatics, which is what you see in the slide. They, teach, they give them opportunities to go and try the keyboard or the guitar. They give them opportunities to make jewelry and to do carvings, which could be the next slide. There it is. So they had a tractor-trailer truck thing. And inside, they laid out their jewelry and their carvings for us. And we were able to go in. And that's where I purchased the, the um, piece of artwork that they drew. Um, that's Uncle Mark, who's in the back. And he said that they feed the, at the church, they have 40 boys that stay in the pavilion. And that's where they sleep every night. And then the 40 of them stay at a house that's also in the slums. And they feed them three times a week, once a day. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they get one meal. And the meal is rice and beans and some water. And so we were able to go two days in a row, and we provided them a meal two days in a row, which is a big deal. It costs about $45 to feed all of the boys one meal, <clears throat> which then it's their job to find food the rest of the time. So I spent about $45 in a little trailer buying <laughs> souvenirs, and I thought, can I just keep buying them? You know, how, how, do, I, how do you deal with this? So some of the money that Artisan gave... Um, we gave to them to help them buy shoes to protect their feet. We did some first aid there, too. Um, so we were able to buy some supplies or to buy some souvenirs, and that helped them with paying for food for a couple of days. Um, and there's a whole bunch of us, so that was useful. And also to provide them with some protective covering for their feet because they just walk around, and these streets are disgusting. They're gross. There's cows and goats and chickens everywhere just doing their thing and um, – trash, garbage, everywhere, and everything's covered in a, in a red dirt. So I would come back looking very tan, and then I would shower, and I would be white again. So um, it was really good to be able to help them get some shoes. Violet Mary came on the trip with us. <laughs> Absolutely. This is Pastor Jonathan in Kasuba. Um, this was on our way to Jinja at the end of our trip. You can keep going to the next slide. We were able to give them some of the artwork that we did. They also didn't have windows on all of their windows, holes in the walls. They didn't have them. Um, but we were able to spend time there. They also have a school. It's very common, apparently, for churches there to have schools connected with them, at least in the connections that we had. So um, someone had donated a Frisbee, and I know that, at one time, many, many artists and people played Frisbee, and it kind of goes in and out, so I gave them a Frisbee. They caught it one time. They dropped it the next time, and everyone laughed. It was great. The kids were all sitting there, and uh, I don't know if they'll ever learn how to throw a Frisbee, but, you know, at least they got to see it thrown twice, and then they'll, they'll have fun with it. So this is um, Pastor Jonathan is right next to me, and then on either side of us there are um, some elders from their church. And some of the children from the school are in there. And you can sort of see in the background the view. It was absolutely beautiful. And we, we took our bus coaster all the way up as far as it could go. And as we went up, we were saying, you know, we don't see any other vehicles up here. There are no motorcycles. There are no buses. There are no cars. There, because it's very uncommon for that to happen. So what they have to do to get water before these tanks is they had to walk all the way down to the bottom of the hill and then drag the jerry cans back up once or twice a day. 
Um, so to be able to provide this was a very big resource for them. And this was one of the tanks that Artisan did in 2008. These are more of those children. And in this picture, you can see their, um, their uniforms. And so that, that particular school at Suba has some orphans. And so we were able to provide for them to get some uniforms because they stick out like a sore thumb because they're the only ones not dressed in hot pink. So for the next picture is just a very... This is what we saw all the time, kids on the side of the road. This kind of captures the image of um, Ugandan kids. You can see that he has a bicycle tire and a stick, so they do one of those games where they run and they, they roll it. You can go to the next picture. So there were three people that made a deep impact on me. When One of the um, places that we went, we went north to Gulu, which is um, in the region where the LRA devastated the land for a long time, and for those of you who remember, Idi Amin was there back in the 70s and 80s, and um, then we drove even farther north, so we were about three miles from the northern border, and we went to a place called Kitigum, and they had received a water tank, and we had a whole church service with them, and afterwards, I met a girl named Flavia, she is on my, of that side, that side, right, left, I don't know, sorry, it's, I'm looking at it backwards. So um, she's next to me. She is starting high school, um, and her father was killed by the LRA in 2004. Her mom broke her arm in two different places and didn't do any of the physical therapy, so she can't close her hand farther than this. So she can't do the cultivating that she used to do. Um, so we're looking into ways that we can help provide for her to start a business that she can do so that she can provide for her family. But it was really neat to be able to – everybody else was looking at a well – and um, I was able to go with her and sit in her house, which is right behind us. Um, and this is at an IDP camp, a former IDP camp, and they don't have... She kept saying, this is our temporary home, but they've been there for years, and they don't have anywhere to go. So that's where they live. So the, another person that really impacted me was when we went to the slums. I met a little girl named Marion. She didn't say anything to me the whole time. Um, she's three years old. And she is not part of the street boys ministry, but she lives with her, at least her mom and her two sisters just around the corner from the church in the slums. And I just held her, and she fell asleep in my arms. And I, I said, James, I'm going to need another plane ticket <laughs> because I'm taking her home. Um, so it was just a privilege for me to be able to hold this little girl and to um, sing some lullabies to her, not knowing if her parents, her mom ever gets an opportunity to do that or not, but to really pour love into this little girl and pray over her. Um, so that was a really meaningful experience for me. Another person that, um, another experience we had after we went to the slums is we went to another orphanage where some of the street boys go. There's about 14 of them in there now. And they had a room with a wall that looked like this, and it had trombone slides and trumpets and whole trombones and pieces. And so there was a boy, and his name was Omar, and he took down one of the trumpets, and um, we had a little impromptu trumpet lesson. And so for me, that totally, that just got me, and I couldn't, I couldn't really um, process that very well. It took a long time to really get that because that was so real to my day-to-day -day life of what I do. I teach the trumpet every day, and I'm over here teaching it to this boy who, when he was four years old, his mother died, and he didn't live with his father or any of their family, and he um, was given the equivalent of a dime by his dad, and then he went on the streets, and he started doing drugs, and he started stealing, and he got connected up with the ministry in the slums, and then they sent him to this orphanage. So he's 14 years old, and he is in fourth grade, and he loves music. And I got to help him for about 20 minutes learn a little bit more about music. And that's something that I love. So that was a really deep connection for me because it was something that was exactly the same as us. And the truth is that they are just the same as us. Absolutely. So it was very powerful. The biggest, well, God taught me a whole lot. And I won't go into all of those because that would take the 10 hours that Pastor Scott's not going to give me. <laughs> but one, one really deep lesson that God taught me was about relationship. And uh, it was two Sundays ago. And... 
I went to church, and then I came back, and I was just wrecked. And I'm sitting there, and James says to me, call home. Talk to someone at home and process at home. So I had an opportunity to do that and talk to my family a little bit, but also to talk to some people here from Artisan because you are my family. And I realized how deeply I'm connected here and how much I just wanted to come back and sit in these chairs and be a part of this community. And so to be a part of this community is so important to me, and it's so important to who I am and whose God is making me to be, but also to have an opportunity to experience the community over in Uganda, to experience the community that they have with one another, and to empower them, to encourage them, and to give them love, to really spend some time with the boys that live in the slums and just put my arm around their shoulders because they don't get that. They don't have parents that do that. They don't have siblings that do that. They don't receive just a hug on a regular basis. And to be able to do that was really powerful. Do I know that what exactly everything God did in their lives over there? Absolutely not. And I also don't have any idea that my being there is going to change their lives 100% because they met Liz. But I know that God worked through me. And so even though I was only there for two weeks, and even though I only spent one day with the people that were there, it was an experience where I can give them love. And I can give them love from God because they are people who are amazing people. And I can, if I can encourage you to follow your dreams and give you something that's going to empower you to better your life and better your community, then I can do that. And that was what we did at Artisan. I was the person that went, but that was what we did. I wouldn't have gone without you. So I learned about how important relationships really are and the community that I have here and the community that I met over there. So thank you for sending me. Thank you for listening. And I hope that some of you will have an opportunity to go in the future to meet them face-to-face, but to know that this is something that even if we never talk about Uganda Water Project again, which, please, let's talk about it again, (laughs) that you've made a difference, absolutely. As we said a couple of times, we're concluding our series today on marriage and relationships, and we're going to conclude it with a Q&A session where uh, you can ask us questions about things that we've said during the series, um, or just questions in general about marriage and relationships, and we'll do our best to answer those uh, this morning. Um, let me just give you a quick recap of what the series was, just the topic, so that it'll maybe jog some memories for you. We have a, one or two questions that were submitted over info card, but mostly this is just going to be you asking questions in the room, and Pastor Mike is going to be walking around with a, a wireless microphone so we can hear your question. So we started the series um, on the first week of the series with the biblical basis for marriage, and we talked about what the Bible says about marriage and how we ought to interpret that, and how we maybe ought not to interpret it um, in some ways. The second week was about myths and misconceptions, and we talked about the, uh, a number of different things that, that maybe create false expectations for people who are married or for people who are going to get married. And then in the third week, we talked about common conflicts and how to resolve conflicts, looking at how that works clinically and how the Bible suggests we might want to resolve conflict. And then last week, we talked about starting over, and we talked about the question of divorce and uh, how to uh, how to go through that, and what the Bible might say about that, and what the clinical research might say about uh, its impact on families and so forth. So those were our topics, and uh, hopefully you have a, a question jog, jogged in your mind from that little brief recap. Um, but before we take a question, I wanted to give Chrissy a chance to um, to say something that that she uh, wants to say before we start. Actually, the first thing I'm going to say I didn't tell Scott about, but it was just a. I wanted to thank Scott and thank all of you guys for letting me be a part of this series. <laughs> it's been awesome. You guys have been responsive and wonderful, and I really appreciate having the opportunity. So thank you. Um, uh, the, the thing that I did tell him about, though, was that I just wanted... I'm not exactly sure what kinds of questions you guys might have, but I wanted to... Um, let you know that I'm not going to be like Dr. Phil up here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know each of your experiences and your situations and circumstances. So 
I, I'm not going to be able to answer specifically like as though I were your therapist because I'm not your therapist. I can give you some general, um, general feedback, but I, I just want to go ahead and make that clear because I, I don't want to mislead anybody. I don't know individually what's going on for you, so I just want to put that out there. What she's saying is you can't put a watermelon in a catapult. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Phil, that's a doc, I don't know. If, maybe you don't sit home at the afternoons and watch Dr. Phil, but some of us do. Um, so thank you, Chrissy, for that. Um, don't be afraid to ask a question of Chrissy. Uh, all the same, she, the worst thing that she can say is, uh, "That's a Dr. Phil question," <laughs> and she'd probably even say it nicer than that. So. Um, so before I read the, the question or two that came on via the info cards, I wonder if anybody in the room has a, a question that you'd like to start us off with. Your question could be, how are you guys so awesome that you said everything that we had questions about already? <laughs> Probably not, though. My name is Norma, and um, one of the things that uh, my coworkers and I talk about often is um, uh, Facebook and the impact of Facebook on relationships. And essentially, the question is, um, you know, uh, what is your advice to couples who uh, are on Facebook but are perhaps maybe uh, friend requested or requested to be a friend of or request friendship of an ex? Um, and how do you handle that? Is it okay to be friends with your ex on Facebook, or do you think that it opens a can of worms? Uh, it doesn't even have to really be Facebook, because in the past it could be that you ran into them in the grocery store, or you know you saw them at a high school reunion. Um, how would you suggest people handle those situations? Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, I have some thoughts, but... Um, Go ahead. Okay. So I think it depends a little bit on, so if, if the person who's considering being friends with their ex is married, um, I think that it's, I think it's wise. Okay. So they're both married. Um, I think it's wise to be careful. Um, and I know people are different and, you know, of course everybody has sort of different things that they feel like they can handle versus not. But in light of what we've said, I think multiple times about really prioritizing your marital relationship, I think it's wise to be careful with exes or previous relationships because, you know, you, it's, you could open the door for something that you maybe aren't exactly thinking about ahead of time. So I think I would err on the side of more caution. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit more conservative. This is my, my opinion, actually speaking. So I would err more on the side of caution um, that it's better to prioritize your marital relationship and protect it um, by trying to minimize potential temptations and potential like past baggage too. I I read something this past week and I I can't say if it was <laughs> if it was like super. <laughs> <laughs> We often talk about how we welcome children to be with us in the sanctuary, and they make noise, and we make noise, and it's a different kind of noise, but that doesn't mean we're better than them or something. But sometimes they have this really cool noise that's, that's just really... Uh, <laughs> that's a different level. <laughs> um, but we love them. Uh, Jesus said, let the will of children come to me. And sometimes we'd be better off listening to those noises than the noises that we make up here. But, um, not you, but me. <laughs> Anyway, I was starting to say, I read an article this week, and I, I, I think it was on a news website, so it's not, you know, it's filtered a little bit. I don't know, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a clinical study that I was reading, but something about how um, the number of affairs that are started via Facebook is, as you can imagine, just, I mean, it's exponentially increasing. And um, so that's, the first thing I'd say is be aware of that reality, that possibility that that could happen. Um, but I'm, I'm not a legalist in hardly anything. 
And so it's really, I would, I would say, probably taken on a case-by-case basis. Um, is the, you know, are you a person, if you're getting this friend request, are you a person who's, who's capable of saying yes to that and then not, like, staring at the, the profile photos for the next 20 minutes? Um, is the, is the, the ex a person who might have a tendency to pursue you irrespective of the fact that you are married? Um, so you, 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 you have to allow your own values and, and morality to win the day on that, I think, and not rely on the other person. You know, it's, Facebook and, and a lot of Internet things are very um, neutral they're morally. They're agnostic, but, but they kind of reflect and magnify the morality of the person using the medium, if that makes any sense. So I would agree with Chrissy. I would... I would tend toward caution on that. And, and honestly, you know, if you wanted to call it a math problem, if there's a 0.5% that this could cause something negative, you know, versus the, you know, whatever little happiness you might get out of reconnecting with an old person, an old friend, you know, just let that go. It would be my advice in most cases, probably. I think there's something to be said, too, for um, uh, sometimes you might be fine with it, but your partner might not be. And it might really upset them. And like, even though maybe it would be okay for you or you could handle it, it's it's. I think it's good to to love and respect your partner by um, you know putting their preferences above your own too. I have some friends who are married couples who have a joint Facebook account, and and I sort of chuckle at that, and I've been a little bit dismissive of that in the past, I admit. But for a situation like this, I don't know what they've gone through. Maybe there has been infidelity in that relationship, and so this is a guard against that. So I don't want to be too dismissive of that. Um, but I would say have your own Facebook account, but, but treat it and act as if your spouse could see the whole thing all the time. And if there's ever any doubt over whether your spouse would appreciate what you're doing, then probably shouldn't do it. For something like that. I mean, it really doesn't. It's Facebook, right? Facebook's awesome, though. Love that. <laughs> Thank you. That's a very good question, Norma. Any other questions? We have a question in the front here. Um, I thought you guys did a really great job of blending real life, real world with the whole biblical basis, whether it was at the beginning or even in the starting over piece. And I guess um, my question is about um, incorporating Christianity and faith in relationships, because it's an area that, um, whether in my marriage or now in the starting over period, um, you know, I've struggled with. So meaning that um, I feel like I have a hard time discussing my faith and my Christianity in those relationships and for some reason seem to attract people that aren't (laughs) um, of a Christian faith or or following. And um, so I guess I'm kind of asking, like, it's been a conflict in relationships for me, and it wasn't something that kind of came up in that common conflict piece. So I guess I'm kind of asking... You know what advice you have for incorporating Christianity and faith in marriage and relationships. Well, the first thing I'd say is that you should probably repeat the, the myth that you had in the in the second week of the series, the myth series, because um, I don't know if you were here for that one, but even if you were, there's others who weren't. So, yeah, yeah, I was thinking that too. <laughs> um, so one of the myths that I talked about was um, uh, that even if you have a different faith background, like that. I guess the myth would be, it doesn't matter what we believe, you know, all we need is love, something along those lines. And um, the research, and I talked about that week, how the research does um, demonstrate that people who have a common faith background and practice, they tend to do better. It's an area of strength for them. It's an area of unity. And people who have differing faith practices and backgrounds, um, that tends to be a risk factor for breakup and conflict and divorce. So um, you're hitting on something that is, it has, you know, borne out in the research. Um, and so I think that what I said that week was um, if you're single and you have the opportunity to still decide, it's probably better to go to the area where you would have the strength. So looking for someone who has, 
you know, who is Christian, who has the common faith practice for you, because that is an area that you could unify and, st- and strengthen one another and encourage one another. And then I also said that if, if you um, are in a marriage that has differing, that, that you two have differing faith backgrounds, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're doomed or, you know, you're not going to make it, but that you just have, you have to have different communi- you have to have different communication and conversations and just take that into account because it is something that can be an area of conflict. So it's just something that, if you're already in a relationship to really work on and pay attention to and respect one another and, and communicate well about it. So that's what, that's what I said. Yeah. I think that's the, so that, that goes partly toward the preventive maintenance kind of side of things, you know, it, realize that if you're entering into a relationship like that, that your, your risk factors are higher, you know, assuming that you are in a relationship where you share a faith, I, I would speak to that for a minute. I think that it's important and it's really a, it can be a wonderful blessing, but sometimes people who are married and who are who share faith don't ever still don't ever talk about it, you know. Um, and I I believe that the in any kind of Christian relationship context, we ought to be whether we're married or friends or sitting next to each other in the seats of a church, our goal ought to be able to to enhance each other's faith, to help each other grow in the faith. And one of the things that we um, we talked about it a little bit. We didn't end up bringing it out in the in the um, sermons at all. Was the concept that that as a spouse, one of the things it's not just about making the other person happy; it's about making the other person holy. And can you what's the reference there? Who's the author? Who? Uh, it was uh, Gary. Is it Gary Chapman? No, it's not Gary Chapman. It's um, uh, it's the Sacred Marriage. Uh, if you look on my Facebook page, I've got one of his quotes in the About Me profile. <laughs> his first name is Gary, and the book is Sacred Marriage. Yeah, so that's a that's a very big topic that we don't have time to unpack. But that concept is something that might be worth thinking about. That that if we're going to be in a relationship with each other, especially in a married relationship, we ought to be working toward each other's holiness and, and facilitating that. So, um, let me ask the question that came via info card, which Chrissy has. We had one comment that came by info card, which somewhat goes to what I was just saying. That was that said basically, um, you know, be, building strong and healthy marriages and be, basing them on biblical truths um, not only helps us, but it helps others around us. It helps it, it helps strengthen our communities, our churches, our cities, and that that kind of thing, which I think is a is a great point. But here was the this is the one actual question that we got from an info card. It says, for marriages going well, how do you prepare for and or protect against trials and problems in the future. So what do you think? So you can't protect against trials and problems because you're going to face them. Um, but you can, uh, you can work on your relationship so that you're stronger when you do. And so I would encourage you to do things like we've talked about already through this series. So we talked about good communication on a variety of things, uh, finance, sex, in-laws, family, all that stuff, good communication. We talked about how to minimize negative um, conflict behaviors, and so I talked about a few of them, and I I went over, like, um, contempt and defensiveness and um, stonewalling, criticism, trying to minimize those negative behaviors. And then I would encourage you, if you, um, if something like, like the marriage course that we're doing or, like, um, some organizations do like weekends away or whatever to go and take part in those. It's worth your time. Even if it's like, if it's a once a year thing, that's great. So I would encourage you to take part in those types of things where you and your spouse together get to be together, maybe go away somewhere, but you get like concentrated time to talk on your, talk about your relationship and talk to each other. Yeah. I, I, I would just, I, I liked your point so much at the beginning that I'm going to repeat it is that you can't, protect against trials or problems. You're going to face them. So it's really, we want to emphasize the preparation side of that question. And um, I would say the principle to keep in mind is that you, it's going to be hard, harder to institute good practices when you're under strain and stress than when you're not. So if you are not under strain and stress right now, now is the time to work on those good practices. Um, not only for, for communication and conflict resolution, but also for uh, for your faith together, assuming that you share that faith and how you how that helps you rely on on God and all these all these different things that that you're going to need and and if you're in trouble if you're in struggle it's going to be hard to say well 
you know, we really should be praying together about this. You want to punch each other's lights out, <laughs> you know, and you haven't prayed together for the last year, it's probably not going to go all that well. So, um, to use an athletic metaphor, it's, it's you know, you, you do your training in advance so that when the day of the race comes or the day of the big game comes or whatever it is, you're prepared um, for that. Sometimes when you're doing the training, it feels completely pointless and, and routinized, and you don't get the endorphin rush that you, that you might on the day of the game or the race, but you, you need that strength. You need that, that muscle tone and that cardiovascular um, endurance and so forth. And so you want those things, you know, metaphorically speaking, in your marriages as well. I think I, I have one other thing, to, or two other things to add that I was just thinking about when he was talking. Um, I think it also is a good idea if you are, can anticipate when area, times of, of struggle might come to prepare for that, um, like he's saying. So, like, <clears throat> I've, I've mentioned already having a child, that is, that is a time when uh, after you have the child, your satisfaction will probably go down. At least, generally speaking, we see that uh, with people. And so... Prepare for that, not just for the child, but for you and your spouse. So try to recruit a babysitter ahead of time or, like, make it a point to have a weekly date night. Or if you live near your family, get your family to help you with child care. Like, you can anticipate that maybe some of these struggles may come or, like, maybe buying a new house. You're going to have a lot of financial concerns. And so think about ways that you can still set aside time to spend together and prioritize one another. Um, so just plan ahead of time with that. And then I think it also is a really good thing to um, connect with other couples that you know. So maybe it's an older couple or it's a couple who's your age. A couple that you can talk to and that you can talk about what's going on with the two of you. Um, I think Artisan is a great place to do that because you have a lot of couples here who are, who are going to be uh, supporting you and wanting you to succeed. And they're going to be able to give you encouragement and support and advice. So I recommend doing that too. Yeah, we're running short on time, so can we make this uh, our last question for the day? And uh, Mike will bring up the microphone for you. I can be loud. Well, but we, we also record these, and people want to hear what your question is. Okay. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Joanna. Oh, it sounds weird on a microphone. Um, my question is more like, okay, say if one person is the breadwinner and one person is the stay-at-home person. Um <laughs> Is it just as important for one spouse to develop and pursue their individual interests and skills as it is for the other one? Like, say, for example, me being a stay-at-home mom, like, 24-7, like, I do kid. Like, my job is the kid. So is it just as important for, you know, Tim to have times to go out with the guys as it is for me, you know, being the primary child caregiver that I also have my time to take our classes or do, like become filled in my own ways that I need to be filled, like, like an equal proportionate, speaking wise-ish. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think what's important is to show your partner respect and to show love for what they, what they want and what their desires are. And I think that at different periods of time in your life, there's going to be some um, differential responsibilities. Um, Research shows also extremely, it's kind of frustrating, but women uh, really bear the brunt of household burden. They, they do, like, it, they bear the lion's share. I'm, I'm not trying to make guys feel bad, um, but it is, it's, it's all over the place that women still do. Um, even if they work. Even if they work, yes. Even if they work outside the home. Um, so, guys, you can help your wives. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Uh, but I also think that there, there is an ebb and flow to when that happens. And um, I do think it's important for both partners to be able to build themselves, to fulfill themselves, to do things that they want, whether it's inside or outside of the home. But in light of it being different in terms of when that happens and there being a really cyclical you know, flow to that, um, I would say, I guess what I said first is showing respect to one another. Um, so I think that, and the reason I'm saying it that way is because I think the answer looks different at different times in your life. So right now, um, it may look, it may look one way. It may look like saying, yeah, you know, 
you have one night out with your friends or you don't, uh, or it might, you know, like I feel like it's different at different times. So I would say show respect to one another and appreciation for what your spouse already does, but then also respect and appreciation for what they still want to do and what they, what they want to do to fulfill themselves. I think it's a great answer. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, well, we're, um, we're going to run just a little bit long this morning. That's okay. We've been a lot of great stuff. Um, but uh, in a minute, we'll take communion together. But I wanted to take one last opportunity. I've said this a couple of times, but to say thank you to you, Chrissy. Um, Chrissy has been just a wonderful help uh, to me in shaping the content, even of the side of things that I was saying. And I know that she's been a huge blessing to all of you been a great opportunity, a great um, privilege to have her perspective and her knowledge and her experience, and so um, I'm extremely grateful to you for, for all of that, and I know everybody else is too, and uh, also to Jonathan, who's uh, helping to coordinate the marriage course along with Chrissy and has been in on some of our discussions while we prepared sermons, so um, thank you both to you guys. It's been really great. <laughs> um, Let's close our series with a word of prayer. God, thank you for um, this opportunity that we've had over the last month to talk about this, uh, this greatest of human relationships. And uh, I pray that uh, all this content, all the talk from the Bible and from research and from experience uh, will be able to sink in over the coming days and weeks and months and even years that um, you and your spirit would be present in the relationships in this room and represented in this room that aren't present here today, uh, that it would be a lifelong pursuit of loving each other the way you love us and of uh, laying down our lives for each other the way your son Jesus laid down his life for us and in submitting to each other in all things. And we pray for your grace and your healing and your strength for perseverance in these relationships. That in all that we do, we would uh, grow closer to each other, closer to you, and that we would bring glory to you and honor to you and the work that you do in our lives and in the world. We pray these things in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that one God, amen. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.